when I think, I say it a lot at practice jokingly, but I'll say, hey, setter set. And I think that's something that indoor setters, when you're coming to the beach, you need to use that in your favor. It took me so long to realize that my hands and my ability and knowledge of being a setter should be helping me in the sport of beach volleyball. And I should be willing to take more chances than most people, not less. And and so I think with those players that are going from indoor to sand, be okay with putting your own flair on a set. You know, be ballsy. Be somebody who's proud and just put your hands on the ball and you'll learn what you can and can't do. But especially in my growth the last three years as with my hands, I've realized that I can use my hands in a lot more situations than I thought. And it just makes the game so much more fun. Like we're on uh, indoor, setters don't really get the acknowledgement you see it a lot more on the sand you know if somebody makes a really good handset where they're running through maybe dropping down to a knee or something like that the crowd will be like oh okay this guy's saucy hey everybody and welcome to the better at beach volleyball podcast where we talk about all ways to get better at beach volleyball if you want to check out more or see more you can go ahead to betteratbeach.com where we have online courses clinics virtual coaching, camps, and of course, classes and private lessons. Today, we are talking all about converting indoor setters, that's you, Brandon, to beach volleyball. And uh, we just came off of fantastic clinic in Salt Lake City. Uh, we were at the Sandbar in Salt Lake City, and I spent eight months there last year coaching, flying out there for three days and flying back to California. Uh, for the rest of the week and it felt so good to be back there it felt so good to feel like i was coming home to family to friends it was just such a great week for me i got some snow some skiing in janelle did some snowboarding and i love that community there in salt lake city and now there are a bunch of people helping them out with coaching when i went there there was nobody doing any coaching and there seems to be a really nice rhythm that's developed there with new training programs and people who are really pushing beach volleyball in Salt Lake City. So big thanks to Joe and Sunshine Lambert of Sand. Uh, they have a nonprofit organization there that's really pushing training forward. And they brought us out and did pretty much every bit of organization. So huge thank you to Joe and Sunshine. And if you guys are looking for real estate or inspections in, uh, hit me up and i will connect you to sunshine lambert who is the top real estate agent in utah go find her you won't be disappointed she's a volleyball nerd and she works her butt off and everything she does um, just like joe does yeah um, it really is a special community up there like i didn't even have the opportunity like you did to live up there for a couple of months but even when i come in they're just so welcoming and kind and they truly show their appreciation for us being there we obviously whenever we go to these clinics and camps we have an idea of what we want to provide and we know that people are going to enjoy it but it's just that much more rewarding when you go to an area where it happens most of the time most of the places we go with that is yeah. the case but for some reason salt lake is just i don't know if it's because you have that extended relationship with them or if it's just the people there but it really is a special place and uh i had another one of those feelings i feel like i've been texting you after every single one of these clinics like man we are so lucky to get to be doing what we're doing yeah and even this one it was such a quick trip for me i got back in la on saturday night after running the clinic on saturday and while i was waiting on the plane i just i had this thought of joy and just appreciation and feel lucky to be a part of it so and it's people like that that make it possible so yeah. very cool we got clinics coming up we have off this weekend hey if you want to put something together in a hurry let us know <laughs> but we're going to new york in long island at endless summer volleyball on March 5th and then the week after that. So the second weekend in March, we are going to Loveland, Ohio, just outside Cincinnati at Grand Sands Volleyball. And we are running uh, another one day clinic, seven and a half hours. And we're bringing our, uh, our hometown boy, Logan Weber out there to <laughs> meet all of his fans, followers, and everybody who kind of raised him sport i guess it's awesome if you guys if you guys want to sign up for any of those clinics or you want to organize anything with us go to betterbeach.com forward slash clinics if you're worried about how much it, it might take or what it takes just know that 
we need at least 12 people committed for a full day, which is 225. And that gets you seven and a half hours of coaching as well as some swag and some gear. And you get to be our friends. We love friends. <laughs> Absolutely. Love but check out our current schedule on betterbeach.com forward slash clinics. We still got a lot of space in the New York clinic and Grand Sands in Ohio has so much space. So we need to know how many coaches we should bring. So the earlier the signups happen, uh, the better it's going to be organized. All right. Should we talk about setting indoor I think we should, setters? I think we should. Yes, I'll kind of go ahead and get started for us. A little bit about my background. I played indoor volleyball at George Mason University. I was a setter. Had the pleasure of working with people like Fred Chow and his coach when he was in Scotland, Thomas, who I learned a lot from within the sport. But I do think that it is a very hard transition for people especially setters, to come from indoor to outdoor. There's a lot of different ideas that come along with disguise and touch that are very, very different in the game of beach volleyball. And it was one of the more frustrating things for me. My first, when I was playing indoor, I eventually got to a point, especially my last year of playing pro over in Europe, I felt like my hands were pretty elite. I felt like I had gotten to a level that I was okay with putting myself in a category with the top setters in the US and especially in the leagues that I played in. But then my transition to beach, it, it was pretty crazy. I think my first three, four years of playing on the NVL, I did not hand set one single ball. That's so wild. Yeah. And a lot of it just had to do with one, I trusted my ability to bump set because I still had a lot of control and I was okay with it. A lot of times when you're playing indoor, you have this ability, especially in transition setting. If you have to put the ball in the air, you just have to get good at bump setting. So the teams that I played for at Mason were all very, very scrappy. So we got a lot of balls up and... So I got pretty good at putting the ball into certain locations, even when it was my platform. But I'll never forget when I moved out to California and I had this practice with Evie Matthews and I believe you were there and we we're playing against John Hyden and maybe Ryan Doherty at that time. And during warmups, I was using my hands. I was feeling real comfortable with them. And then the drill started and I didn't use my hands at all. And Evie literally stopped practice and said, if you don't use your hands, every single time that you can for the rest of these practices, then you're not going to be invited back. And that was kind of one of the moments where I realized that it wasn't really an option for me anymore. I had to put aside this scared kind of fearful mentality of hand setting because I was scared of losing points. I realized that it was necessary for me to grow to where I wanted to be. If I wasn't willing to do that, then I wasn't willing to get to that spot that I wanted to be at. For me, it just became something where I realized that in order for me to get to the next level, I have to learn how to hand set. And I'm sure throughout this podcast, we'll talk a lot about the things that were different for me and how I took on those challenges and what what I thought about. But now that I am a handsetter, I try to use it as much as I can, even in transition. And I am very comfortable. I haven't played in too many big tour stops since I've started handsetting. So I'm excited for that. But that kind of anxiety around handsetting is almost completely gone for me, which just took a lot of time and reps. It's definitely nice when you get that confidence of doesn't matter how high or how spinny this ball is, I'm just putting my hands around it. You know, mm -hmm. that's such a nice feeling. And what's really fun is playing with an agile, an agile person who can set anything anywhere. The ability to slow a ball down in your hands or to sink your knees, sink your hips and wait for that contact and that kind of simulates that slow down in your hands you know you control those little hundredths of seconds or when you do want to run a quick set or a speed set to beat a blocker or because you see an open net somebody who can just speed up and and touch those hands those setters being able to play with guys like that makes the game so much fun because it 
gives you so many opportunities to change the game, to change what you're doing, to run a different offense. But for the people who can really only bump set, they have the ability to change some things, but it's hard to really control timing and slow yourself down. Uh, because when you bump set, you only have to use your legs in order to slow that play down. Like you're going to drop down, wait longer to touch the ball, and then lift it. But you don't have that additional soft hands that you can really play with it to allow your hitter to catch up. So the ability to run a fun shoot, run and gun offense, or when you're in transition and you get a great dig, but you're still on the ground, somebody who knows how to wait, sink their body, get lower, and then even have a slower, longer catch. It's not exaggerated. You know, you're not holding it, but that ability to control time like a wizard <laughs> is just so much fun to play with. Hopefully this is going to encourage some people to, to make the changes that we're going to give you and to open up your offense. And once you can set dimes, everyone wants to play with you. Everyone. Because that's the best feeling we get in volleyball is when you mash a ball or when you hit a nice in-system swing. That's one of the best feelings. So if you're a setter who can deliver that feeling, people start liking you naturally. They start like Pavlov's dog <laughs> associating good hits with you. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, I'm glad you said that because I think that I almost take a little bit more pride in that than like, obviously I like getting a big kill. I like getting a big block, but if my setter or if my partner turns to me after a set, whether it's in system or, or I mean, no matter the situation, but especially if it's like, if it's a quick set where I picked up on their energy perfectly and I put it in their hitting window and you always hear that saying that set killed itself. I almost take more pride in that than I do any other play in the game. And I think it's just because especially as an indoor player you don't get a lot of reward you know a lot of times the glory is all on the attacker whether the middle or the outside or opposite so as a setter you kind of have to live vicariously through those big cheers that you know are going towards the hitter but sometimes you just turn to the crowd and you're like yeah even though i don't think you're cheering for me i'm gonna act like you are <laughs> it's always a good feeling give me the number one most valuable tip and this I, it's got to be tough right but the tip that stands out in your mind the most that you got in indoor and then tell me if or how it applies on the beach you know if it even applied at all i think one of the things that i picked up on a lot when i was in indoor had a lot to how i approached the ball and allowing my momentum to be carrying through the ball as i was setting whether i was going forward or i was going back and i think that that's probably the easiest transition to beach that a lot of people will have because a lot of people don't realize that you shouldn't be running to where the ball is you shouldn't be standing like if the ball is if your pass is dropping to the ground and X marks the spot where that ball is going to be landing, you shouldn't really be standing on that X until you are making your set. You should be standing behind that ball. So a lot of the times, like for me, if we're talking about indoor, we have that setter's position, which is a little bit off of center in indoor because you have three different options. You have that outside hitter, you have that middle coming, which is in a perfect world, that middle is probably going to be coming at the middle of the court, allowing you to kind of go on one side of other middle blocker sure. uh, to get a point. And one of my big things that I learned when I was an indoor is that I shouldn't be running to the setter's position. Instead, I should be running to a position that allows me to work into the setter's position, if that makes sense. So realistically, wherever that ball is planning on landing, I want to be about two feet behind it before I actually go make my set because that's going to allow me to use my momentum and whenever your momentum is going with it that makes sets easy the system that I used in indoor was very very easy now if I talk about it a lot of people probably could have beat us in at Mason but if a left side player passed the ball a lot of times I was going to continue the flow and go back if the right side player passed the ball a lot of times I was going to continue the ball forward because I'm using the momentum of the ball to make my set easier. The reason that's important is because it, it just makes it makes everything easier. You don't have to be as strong, you don't have to use as much muscle, but allowing yourselves to get into that proper position is really, really big. And I think, especially for me, when I've moved on to the sand, I still have to be quick, but whenever that ball comes up in the air, whether it's a pass or if it's a dig in transition, I feel like one of the things that is in my favor as a player, especially as a 
setter is that I know I have a better understanding of where I need to get my feet behind this ball in order to be able to make this set as easy as possible for me. And that's kind of interesting because it doesn't really have to do with hand at all. It has to do with our feet. And the fact that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind as far as what I've done in indoor that has allowed me to go to the beach and make it easier for myself. I think that that's a pretty telling sign of what we're going to be talking about as far as setting. And it's the hands aren't the first conversation. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah I, getting your feet around the ball not to the ball. And that's something that so many people make that mistake. So if I'm setting, let's say that I'm standing on a clock, right? And I have 12 o'clock in front of me. If I want to set to 12 o'clock, that means that I have to get kind of to six o'clock and then move through the middle of that clock. And, you know, 12 o'clock is usually probably you know, you're outside or maybe just a little bit in front of you. But being able to be behind that ball so that you can approach it a little bit forward is a huge advantage and most people don't realize how much of an advantage it is until they recognize how often they're backpedaling. And then they're so uncomfortable using their hands and then they blame the passer for passing it too far behind them because they're uncomfortable setting. When if you leave space to move forward with your body, it's more able to move forward quickly with strength than it is to backpedal. We can all run faster forward than we can backpedal. So leaving that space in front of you allows you to make adjustments easier instead of having to backpedal and then push a ball in the opposite direction with your arms. So for those people who are weaker, don't have quite that nervous system pattern yet, you know, the backpedal is going to put you in trouble. So what's going to make a weaker setter, somebody who can't push it as far, what's going to make them stronger? Just like you said, waiting behind the ball and coming through it. I think it's massive. You know, we don't even see that. I know that we're probably going to talk a little bit about indoor, but if you're just a fan of indoor, you don't know how these people are approaching to the ball when they're comfortable. We see setters sprinting, jumping through the ball, running slide sets, but those are the off chance, you know, plays. It's what am I going to try to do? What am I going to build my system around for the eight, nine, 10 out of 10 plays instead of the ones that I have to sprint for? And it's always getting into that spot where you approach just from behind the ball so that you can make those better adjustments. I think. Yeah. And every single time, I think that a lot of times people give up on that idea. I, I think most people realize that when their momentum is going through a set, the set is easier. And if you haven't felt that, really, really pay attention to it the next time that you're playing. But we always see, especially people that do run to the ball, the common thing that you will feel is this quick little pushback away from the ball, mm -hmm. whether it's with your, and a lot of times it's with your butt. Yep. You know, you push your butt away. And I used to do this a lot in indoor. And it was something that Thomas fixed on me very, very quickly. Because when you do it, I understand why we do it. We do it because it feels like we're allowing ourselves to get a little bit more power. That's what it feels like. But I promise you, it's not the case. If you can keep those feet planted, keep those hips in and try to get that momentum going forward, whether you're setting forward or back, then that is still going to give you more strength. If you are wondering if you approach the ball in the correct way, after you set the ball so you we've always we've talked about our proper setting techniques with beach volleyball but when you go to set you should be finishing with your net foot forward and something that i try to concentrate especially if i notice that my momentum is not in the right place is after i make this set so if i'm a left side player and i'm setting my right side mm -hmm. my left foot would be forward because that would be my net foot. That's the ball. That's the foot that would be closest to the net. And after I make that set, I should be able to where my next step is my right foot, just like I'm walking, you know? And I think a lot of times what we see is that people end up putting that left foot down and then they set and then their first step is their left foot backwards to catch themselves again. And I think if you find yourself in that position, then momentum's an issue for you or that approach position is you're not quite understanding what you should be doing and where you should be going to make that set. You know what I always... I'm trying to figure out when we talk about that left foot forward and the right foot forward. So there's reasons that we can give for having one foot forward. Like as an indoor setter, you try to open yourself up to the court uh, so that your chest faces that way. As a beach setter, if you put the foot closest to the net more forward, your chest is slightly more open to where the ball's coming from. The idea that some people argue is that you're less likely to overset because of that kind of half 
little bit of rotation. But a couple of those have never made sense to me, even though every coach in the entire world says net foot forward. It'll prevent the ball from going over. I honestly don't really believe that. What I do believe is that having a consistent preset routine is going to lead to consistent results. So when you say, hey, we're going to leave that net foot forward because my chest is a little bit more open to my passer, and it's also going to put you in a rhythm that allows for consistency. That's what I believe. I don't, I really don't believe that it prevents you from oversetting. I mm -hmm. don't think that's the case, but we don't, we don't have any studies. We don't have a coach who took a thousand athletes for two years and a different set of a thousand athletes for two years. And he said, these thousand athletes are going to back foot forward. And these ones are going to put their net foot forward. And we're going to see at the end of two years, how many oversets we get. And no one's really willing to commit that time. So when they give that reason of not oversetting, I don't necessarily think it's true. To be honest, I don't really care. I think it mostly has to come down to balance and stability. I think when you have that net foot forward, it's a very easy way for you to find a balance and to where when you're actually making your set, your lower body is strong. That's something I've been focusing on that a lot recently with passing and setting. And it's almost a dead giveaway every single time. If your lower body is not strong, whether you're passing or setting, then you're not going to get the result you wanted. Or if your hand setting and your lower body is not strong, then that's where we start to see people dropping to their knees to find that stability. You know, like the Phil jump set, yeah, doing so the we... Mario party super <laughs> pound every single time he sets. And it, beautiful hands. Yeah. But like maybe an unpopular opinion for me is that I would challenge Phil to have better feet. I don't know. I think he can trust himself enough to get his hands on the ball and stay standing up so that he can actually cover something rather than say that he dropping to his knees. He did a lot less knee drops in the last 10 years of his career. Right. Than the first 10. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> first 10, it was like every single time just to make sure he's smooth. But it's yeah. funny because you see people do that a lot. I think the reason for it is because when if you are not going to be able to have strong feet, that's the only way that you can find that stability again, because you don't have this wobbly base. You don't really have a base at all, but you're able to control it with your, your arms only. That talk about base, I think is as soon as you said it, I was like, oh man, of course. Because if you're running towards the net, stopping yourself, the final stop of momentum, if you use your back foot, you're going to be using your groin to mm -hmm. stop you instead of, you know, using your glutes and the outer part of your thighs where you like normally do agility stops. So okay. by encouraging people to use that leg as their last leg, you're encouraging them to have a stable, good breaking system so that they can deliver that final set. And I think this conversation has led me to saying, like, of course, that's why we would want to do it, to stop your momentum at the, at the set. And <laughs> you can imagine trying to break, you know, on your inside leg and then mm -hmm. As far as stability, being able to have, we talk about strong legs. You guys can be strong. If you're listening at home right now, you can be strong without being stable. And if you think that you're strong, but you don't have stability, if you add stability to your strength, it's a different world. It's a completely different world to be able to balance yourself, to root your hips and your knees and your ankles, and then to, to be able to hold that place where you're not wobbling, wiggling anymore. You know, and that's why we do it with the 60 day max vertical program that we have, that's why we do so many airplane rotations. That's why we do so much glute activation and balance drills. Because if you have strength without stability, eventually something's going to break and you're just not maximizing what you could have. You mentioned the word strength and I wanna encourage people to say that strength and stability, they mm -hmm. really have to go hand in hand. And so if you're not using those glute activation exercises, balance exercises, anti-rotation exercises, you have to start and if you need help it's super easy just get a better beach.com and take our 60 day max vertical or seven day foundation yeah, uh, yeah i can mention that that is a hundred percent mobility the shoulder strengthening and glute activation program i'm going to be working with a small group of athletes for seven days meeting with you every single day giving you exercises to build the foundation for your strength and then if you choose to continue with us after that i will show you everything that is included in our 60 day max vertical program but that starts at the end of this week it starts monday morning so if you guys haven't signed up for that go ahead we're going to work together on video i'm going to see your face and talk to you we're going to do that every day for seven days and that's at betteratbeach.com forward slash 
foundations. It's a great program and it will set you set you up so that you can absolutely increase vertical, increase strength, increase stability. And the funny part is that after those seven days, everybody reports to me that they've already increased their, their vertical and their broad jumps by two to three inches because they've finally just woken up their bodies and unlocked the things that were so locked because they aren't doing the proper mobility. Side note, but um, it's a great program, had huge success. And we've already got the people who went into that uh, in the beginning of January, they're already now doing their retesting for the 6DMX vertical. And we've got four or five and seven inch vertical leap increases in just these eight weeks, which is phenomenal. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm That's so awesome. Happy yeah. It's good. It's not a coincidence that the more you're in control of your body, the more you'll be in control of your game. That's just the easiest way to say it. All right. So next one, we talked a lot about feet, so we might as well move up to the hands. Sure. One of the first things that, so whenever we're thinking about indoor players, and I think that this is one of the biggest reasons that there is a time of getting an adjustment period of going from indoor to sand is that the touch point or touch contact height is usually a lot different for beach volleyball than indoor. And indoor, a lot of it is getting that ball at a really good height so that you're threatening the blockers on the other side of the net with that quick quick tempoed attack. If you're a very low setter and indoor, then blockers aren't really going to be threatened by those quick tempo attacks because it's going to take you so long to give them that ball. And since you're contacting that ball so high, indoor setting is a lot of wrist movement where it's just quick little pops. There's not a whole lot of elbow extension going on. It's a lot more kind of grab and throw real fast. So you'd say that beach players have a, have a deeper elbow bend than indoor setters? Yes. So I think that contact point for indoor is further away from your forehead than it would be for a sand volleyball or beach volleyball player. And I think it just has to do with what you have to do in order to run a good offense in indoor because, and the ball is moving so quick that you can, you can kind of throw this ball around and they're a little bit looser on calling doubles. Like a I lot think of it, it. Come on. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think when I was in college, it, a rule was literally instated that as long as you were trying, trying to be athletic and I think it said trying because there's like some of you guys just aren't athletic but as long as you're trying like a bless you bless her heart <laughs> um, but it was like as long as it's an athletic movement then it can't be a double so that's why you see in indoor these people running from the back court and just throwing their hands at the ball and the ball can come out with so much spin and it, outsides are just thumping balls that's something that a lot of people like I personally didn't like that rule when I was in college because I had a slower release anyway which did help me when I got onto the beach, but I had a slower take in than most indoor setters because I, I don't know why it was just some, the way that I picked up on it, but a, a lot of indoor players just push that ball. They don't even catch it. It's just yeah. almost, it almost looks like they're just slapping it to whatever player they think can get the kill. Obviously there's a lot more art and science behind it. I think that an indoor setter is one of the most artistic things that I've ever seen in my life. Like I love watching a good indoor setter, but the hand contact point is definitely a lot different. And and just the way that we hold on to the ball. And, and probably maybe a little bit, not only lower, but could we say deeper with the hands? Like if you turned your palms more towards each other. I think it has to do with where your elbows are too. A lot of indoor players, you'll, I was never coached in, in California on how to play, how to set indoor. But one thing that I did pick up on when I was watching is that indoor setters tend to have their elbows a little bit quicker because it allows for this flick to happen happen a little bit more and it's a little bit easier to disguise. I don't know if that's something that they teach. It, it'd be, I would love to talk to somebody. Maybe I'll pick a uh, Riley McKibben's brain yeah. at one point. That'd be awesome. Let's get him on. Um, he says yeah. he's got writer's block. So we'll right. just get yeah, him talking. Yeah. We got to yeah. get them creative again. They got some videos to push out. But with, in, with Beach, I definitely see these elbows getting a lot wider apart, even for me. And I wasn't one of those setters that brought my elbows in. And I think, you know, when I talk about like the depth of the hands and basically how far the ball goes below under your wrist crease, like if we bend our, it's tough because when you're new to setting, you think about your wrist folding forward and back. You know, almost like you're slapping something. And mm -hmm. sometimes that can happen indoor where you go over the top of your fingers to accelerate that ball. But really, for beach, it's this weird kind of diagonal where if you take your radius 
you're almost bending your wrist back along that, along your radius. So it's a little bit to the side and it's back, but it's not straight back. It's not straight to the side. It's this in between where you're almost following the web of your thumb. And if we go up really, really high, you straighten your elbows, you can't get your palms to face each other. But as you drop your elbows, your palms can face each other more. And so you can actually like hold and contact more of the ball. So I think that's where we see the, the hand depth change. And like you said, we don't have to hide anything in beach. You know, we're not trying to make sure that we can get rid of the ball as quick as possible to beat a blocker. If you start from here, then by the time the ball leaves you, everybody's going to know the path. If you start down low and you set, people start seeing where the ball is going before you've even released it. It's almost like you're moving in slow motion. But if you keep it high and you stay quick, no one really knows where it's going. So that's why the indoor setter has to have that high quick release. And the beach player can slow the ball down, control it, take it lower, because it doesn't really matter where you're setting. Unless we talk about like oversetting and using the set as an attack, which we'll start seeing more in the next few years. And there's definitely a wrong way and definitely a right way to do it. And I'll tell you that the wrong way is still having that slow, long contact. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the big, so I just kind of keep melding this into talking about hands. And now I want to talk about the collection period. You know, with mm-hmm. with indoor, we've already talked about the fact that it's it's a it's a little bit slappy. You're not really going for that hold, but for indoor players who are going to the beach, one of the biggest things that I hear them say is, "Oh, it feels like I'm holding the ball." You know, and you have to take that with a with a grain of salt because, of course, it's going to feel like you're holding the ball because you're so used to this rebound motion that you're you've been doing for the last maybe 12, 15 years of your life. If you started playing when you were a little kid. Because especially when you're a little kid, it's even more reboundy because you're not strong enough to actually grab the ball. But so when you get to the beach, I think having like if you're if you're transitioning from an indoor player to a to a beach player, I think you should almost welcome that feeling because yeah. more than likely it doesn't look nearly as bad as you think it does. So many times I have I challenge players to say, I want you to hold the ball for a second longer than you think you should. You know, and a second is a long time, but people don't have the ability to do that. But if I say a second, it definitely makes them hold on to that ball for a second. And afterwards, the result is night and day. It's like, yeah. wow, that was very close to a really good controlled beach volleyball set. But they still have that thought of saying, but it felt like I was holding on to it forever. It's like, yeah, of course it did, because it's something new that you're doing. It's going to feel foreign to you. So I think that they're like, I'm not going to get called for a lift when we'll you're starting you out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll bring you back to wherever you need to be. But if you're going to if you're going to get coached as an athlete and there's an ask for a change, make a gigantic change in the direction that the coach is pointing you and if he needs to pull you the other way or she needs to pull you the other way fine Mm yeah but at least you listened but if we have to say something if a coach has to tell you something four five six times you need to exaggerate to the point where you seem like you're being sarcastic like you seem like you're being like a jerk like oh like this but do that and then we'll say wow Finally, you're able to make a change because if you're an athlete and you cannot change, shoot, if you're a human and you can't make changes quickly when you need to or when you're asked, you are going to fall behind very, very quick. Coaches love somebody who can just make a quick change. And for a lot of coaches who are like doing tryouts, that's just a quick test. I'm going to take a bunch of athletes and we're going to see the one who, when I say this, they can change that fast in one piece of instruction because you know then you have a versatile team, you have a versatile athlete work going to make changes on the fly when they need to. If somebody's so stuck in their ways, in their habits, in their techniques that they can't get out of it, I don't want you on my team because we'll never be able to adapt to new situations. Yeah. And a a lot of times coaches don't have that long with you. We're thinking about clubs when, when you're when you're growing up, or even if you have if you're an adult, we see how sparing coaching is. When I used to coach my middle school team, I used to tell them at the be I only had nine weeks with them, and I used to tell them at the beginning, I was like, I want you guys to make as big of changes as you can, as exaggerated as you can, because if we do this quick little miniature fixes instead of an over exaggerated finish or fix then in nine weeks we're not going to see any progression and the same thing happens when you're talking about a full season is that even though it's a full year or whatever nine months eight ten months that these kids are playing with those coaches it's still short in the eyes of those coaches 
Yeah. Like at the end, they're like, man, if I just had one more year with these kids, like that, that's the reason you see a lot of club teams have the coach follow that team for a couple of years because they want to continue that progression. But yeah, if we can make those quick changes, it, it, it'll improve your game. You'll That's where you see progression. So yeah. can we talk about, I really want to dive into leg rhythm for because we teach it and we see lots and lots of players who use a big time leg rhythm with their legs, dropping with their legs, using a little dip, dip lift. And for me, it feels like it creates a nice rhythm to the set that some people can't generate with their arms or, or with their hands. So it softens that set. And we see Brazilians, I mean, Alisson will jump, bump almost every single forearm set that he uses. But then you see a guy like Tim Baumgren on the AVP who uses literally zero leg. Mm -hmm. And I've started experimenting with that a little bit. And John Mayer also did this. John Mayer's fantastic coach, fantastic career, indoor and beach. And uh, he's a gold medal squared coach who talks about like as simple as possible. What's the simplest way that I can do this? And when he did setting, he didn't use any legs, you know? And that, that's a fantastic coach there who's saying no legs. And so simplifying that move because in indoor, you jump, you hit the apex of your jump, and then you set. So technically, you're not using any legs, you know, uh, because you're not gaining power from them. You're not gaining real rhythm. So I'm trying to figure out for everyone out there. But there's I still there's still a rhythm in indoor. But a lot of times in indoor, you're seeing jump sets, right? Mm -hmm. So that timing, that boop, it's the same exact thing. When you're going to jump set, you're doing, you're running, doo-doo up in the air set, you know, and, and you're finding that same rhythm. And then that's why they have the term downbeat. It's, what do you mean by that? So in indoor, one of my favorite plays was called a downbeat. And what that is, is you start to pick up on the normal rhythm of a setter based mm -hmm. on when they jump to when they touch the ball. And a downbeat is when the setter delays their touch. And when whenever you delay your touch, it puts a lot of anxiety and stress on the middle blocker on the other side because they, they've wanted to make a decision already. Mm -hmm. but you've delayed that amount of time to where they're able to make that decision. Whenever whenever a blocker is on the other side of the net, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to make a decision right now. But when you downbeat, you're delaying that. And so that's when you start to see middles cheat. And if you're strong enough as a setter and you're on your way down or, uh, with a jump set or you've delayed it well enough, then it gives a lot of, it takes away some options for the middle and they, they kind of have to commit on something. And if they're using that split step uh, where they're kind of hopping and then going, mm -hmm. then you really going to jack them up. Right. So I think it would be, I like that. And I think that that's something that all indoor setters should incorporate. And I've actually started to see it a lot. We see it more on the beach with attackers. And it happens a lot more when there's a quick set, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, the timing happens to be off. The jumper, the attacker jumps. The set's not quite there. So then they start hitting on the way down. And you start to see them score on some pretty weak shots. Mm -hmm. But the same thing happens because that defender on the other side of the net wants to make a decision on what they're going to go chase down. And so they usually make that decision, which makes that open shot as easy as day to see. And it, it just makes it to where you can score a lot easier. And for those hitters, those beach hitters out there who have not learned how to hit on their way up so that mm -hmm. they hit by the time they're halfway up into their jump, then change it and how to hit at the apex and then change it so that you hit after the apex. If you haven't studied that, played with it, learned it, start doing it as soon as you possibly can. It'll give you a better sense of what your actual timing should be normally. And then it'll give you more tools so that you can beat blockers before they are well formed, right? Or you get them to reach or reach high by showing a nice delay and then snapping it under them if they're super tall. So learn how to hit on the way up, how to hit at the top and how to hit after your top and play with it and, you know, spend a two hour practice running through those different types of attacks and see what happens. So kind of going back to the conversation, I... I think that there's two different things that I want to talk about here. Mm. The first thing is when we're talking about rhythm, whenever you can find a way to add rhythm to a task, it becomes something that you can form muscle memory to, you know? So, and finding this timing and relationship to your steps and the touch of your set, if you can create that over and over again, then it takes your mind away from overthinking and it allows the plays to just happen because you feel like you're in a rhythm with the play. So I think that that rhythm, it, it happens a lot 
in indoor, but I think it's a lot easier to see on the beach because we're not jumping, jump setting as much as people are in indoor. Um, that rhythm is a little bit harder to find when it's a jump set. And that's why you see attackers kind of looking a little off if they weren't quite ready for it, you know? So I think that's one point, but I think that we also, we do have those players like Tim and John who are very hand oriented hand setters. And it kind of brings me to a point that I, I want to make to indoor setters is that at some point it's okay to just trust yourself as a setter. There are some plays where I think about my rhythm and I'm able to accomplish it. And then there's some plays where I am okay with completely abandoning it because I know that I trust my hands and I'm willing to, I can do whatever I need to do with my body. And I trust my accuracy enough to where I can still put the ball where I need, where it needs to go. When I think I say it a lot at practice jokingly, but I always, I'll say, Hey, setter set. And I think that's something that indoor setters, when you're coming to the beach, you need to use that in your favor. It took me so long to realize that my hands and my ability and knowledge of being a setter should be helping me in the sport of beach volleyball. And I should be willing to take more chances than most people, not less. And, and so I think with those players that are going from indoor to sand, be okay with putting your own flair on a set, you know, be ballsy, be somebody who's proud and just put your hands on the ball and you'll learn what you can and can't do. But especially in my growth, the last three years as with my hands, I've realized that I can use my hands in a lot more situations than I thought. And it just makes the game so much more fun. Like we're on uh, indoor setters don't really get the acknowledgement. You see it a lot more on the sand. You know, if somebody makes a really good hand set where they're running through, maybe dropping down to a knee or something like that, the crowd will be like, oh, okay, this guy's <laughs> saucy. Yeah. You know, that's just really fun. And so I think that that's a, a lot of people can learn from people like Tim and John and just trust yourself as a setter and know who you are and, and be willing to take some chances. There's one thing that, I, that we do want to come back to as far as just what translates well maybe for indoor setters and again something that that translates well is the idea comes a lot about what we were talking about in the beginning with approaching from behind the ball but the idea of squaring up so squaring up for an indoor setter normally means always facing the same direction they're always facing their left side hitters like antenna attack zone where they want to set that ball and then finding kind of off the shoulder or middle sets from there. It's not where you want to go. But in beach, it's slightly different. The concept of squaring up still stays. But in beach, more often, we'd like to square up or face directly where we want to set instead of facing the same spot every time. So there's a little slight difference there that we like to coach. And the metaphor that I always use is if you look at a bunch of NBA players who are shooting, you don't see somebody at the three-point line shooting a three-pointer over their left shoulder or going for a foul shot and then like facing sideways and shooting. Any opportunity you have to square up, face the basket, and then release that shot, you're theoretically going to be more accurate. So the more you can do that in beach, face exactly where you're going to set, we get that opportunity. Is it always possible for basketball players, for volleyball players? No. Can you still make baskets? Can you still make great sets? Definitely. But the opportunity to, when you can, to be able to face where you're setting or face where you're shooting, it's going to make you more accurate as a beach setter. But I think a lot of indoor players, they come from, oh, I always have to face the antenna or I always have to face uh, kind of a reference point. So what were you taught as an indoor setter in terms of where your body needs to face? And then how did you navigate that when you came to the beach? I, I was taught the same thing that you just talked about, where as an indoor setter, I get square to the left side antenna okay. every single time. And it did help me realize what angles I can set at. You know, so like if I'm setting a ball from 15 feet off the net and I'm squared up to the left side, then almost directly off of my right shoulder, if I was to draw a line from my right shoulder to the other antenna, that would be my square up for my opposite set or my right side set. But then, so I got used to setting over my shoulders 
a lot, mm -hmm. which I think for, for once again, setters moving to the beach, I don't think you should completely abandon that idea. But with, it, yeah. yeah, but with beach, I think a lot of it comes down with that balancing and being able to find that muscle memory. Whenever you add elements into the game, especially wind, that's the hardest part there because if you're not thinking about squaring up, then you're going to start taking this ball off of your midline. And I think that that's something that you really want to avoid. So having this idea on a, as a beach setter of getting squared up to the target every single time will help you keep that ball in your midline a little bit longer. And then so you don't have to be using your core every single time to try to dip into this midline and, and make a set. I think it's something you have to work on. You have to be okay with trying to get behind that ball every single time. And then for the occasions that it doesn't happen, you can use those ideas of geometry and just understand what your angles are and where you want to put this ball. And just realize, I, I talk about it when we do our camps and talk about squaring up and realize that, hey, it's not going to happen every time. But if it's not going to happen, it's still your job to realize, okay, what is the angle I need to get this ball to this area? I, I use the idea of billiards a lot, you know, pool, oh, billiards. billiards, whatever, bro. I'm from <laughs> Chester, Virginia. We don't, how do you spell it? With an I, I A-R-D. All right. Okay. Well, hey, in Let's Chester, learn. Virginia, that's a, just make sure Bills. you say it right when you come to Chester. Like a duck, like a mallard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not, not mallards. Yeah, right. See, just prove my point. I never knew you didn't know how to say billiards. I mean, when you say it now, it definitely rings a bell. I appreciate you putting me on blast. <laughs> I'll start pointing out all the things that you say wrong. Billard joiner. <laughs> No, but just under being able to understand when you're playing pool. <laughs> there you go. I <laughs> could have avoided all this if I just called it what I wanted to. We don't use that B word anyway. Uh, <laughs> but understanding what your angle is and being able to find that in a very quick, immediate decision-making time is something that you have, you've got to get good at, especially when it starts to get windy. So like today in Hermosa, when we go out and practice, it's going to be pretty windy. It's like 15 to 16 miles per hour wins here oh no and uh, it it does make hand setting a lot harder but as long as you can kind of figure out those angles it, it's still possible so mm -hmm. yeah and in that wind being able to going back to the beginning have strength and stability mm -hmm. so that you can wait in a low position to touch the ball because the pass is going to get lower so in order to get there you have to be able to run and then be stable in like a super crouch and then you're going to have to let your setter catch up before you decide to catch the ball. We'd rather not set it high in the wind, let it go up and then come down because that gives it more opportunity to move. So if you wait a little bit longer and you set a ball so that when it's sitting at its top, now your player can attack that instead of the up, then down, or at least, you know, some, some way close to it. Then you're going to have the opportunity to get some better hits. So that stability, being able to wait long in low positions with your legs and with your hands, delaying your touch, like you're talking about with the downbeat as well, knowing that it's not just always at the same rhythm. Uh, that's going to help us today in the win. I think we're kind of getting towards the end of this conversation a little bit, but one other thing that I think helped me a lot transitioning from indoor to beach that I still use that I don't think a lot of even top level players have is being able to use your vision, like your peripherals to find your attackers. I don't think beach volleyball players think about that very much. I don't think they think about looking at their partners and taking their partner's rhythm and speed into account of making the set that is worth their going to work for their partner. There's been a lot of times where you and I have been playing where you'll say something along the lines of like, oh, that was a great set. And I didn't, I didn't even call quick. Something that my eyes have been trained to do from when I played indoor is be able to pick up my attacker's rhythm and speed coming in and my ability to match that speed. So I think that that's something that if you're a beach player, start to think about that, start to look at your attacker coming in and try to match their rhythm, not just listen to what call they say and jack this ball up as high as you can. There is still a window that you are supposed to hit as a setter. And for me, I take that personally every single time I step onto the court. I know that I can help my attacker score more points. So I, I think that that's something worth bringing up as well. Either waiting longer or going and getting it faster, a little bit higher mm -hmm. so that you can, you know that they're going to be early or you see that they want that quick set, you know, and say, so rush and go get it. See if you can get an open net. See if you can set this person before the blocker gets there. This is one of those things that everybody who's learning how to attack 
on two and how to run a speed offense right now. They're passing a little bit lower. The set, the hitter is running either outside or straight at the setter so that they're trying to beat the blocker to their position. And then the setter who is trying to run a quote-unquote speed offense has this long, slow touch in their hands that lets the blocker catch up. Mm-hmm. And all the speed and energy that you've generated here as a player, as a hitter, your setters ruined it because they allowed the blocker to catch up by having those deep hands and waiting for the ball instead of learning how to go and attack it and find that that rhythm of the hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk about the other side of it too, when somebody digs and they're, they're on the ground. And then you set it the same rhythm that you always do. You don't let them get up. You don't wait to touch the ball. You don't slow down your hands and then sit a little bit higher on the back end of your set so that your player can catch up. And if you don't have those peripherals, if you don't have that sense of where your hitter is and what they're able to do right now or how they're rushing or how they're going to be late, you cannot call yourself an elite setter until you can do that. Yeah, and it just it brings up it allows the conversation between your you and your partner as far as offensive design goes. It allows it to get so much deeper because like I know when we got back from camp and DJ and I started practicing a lot, he was calling for quick sets, but I was able to pick up on him and I was he we were getting we were scoring points, but I would have to talk to him afterwards and say, "Hey, you're calling quick, but you're not running in quick. Like you're running the same set that you normally right. set, and I'm just setting you the right ball, but Stop calling for quick because it's kind yeah. of freaking me out a little bit. Yeah. DJ you wants know? a low set, but not a quick set. Yeah. And so uh, trying to just clearing up that terminology uh, allows you to have that conversation. But it could have been a very, very rough couple weeks of practice between him and I if I just kept setting these one ball, two ball type sets that right. he was burying in the net. But because of my peripherals, it allowed me to have that conversation a lot quicker. Okay. So I want to try something here just to show everybody at home what it looks like. And I'm going to pull it up here. So I just want to show you guys at home what it looks like on the, what our setting course actually looks like. Okay. So we're going to share this screen here. And if you guys come to betterbeach.com and you sign up right now, we have every course available for $39 a month. It's only $39 a month and you get every one of our courses. And this is just one of them. So this is how to set in beach volleyball, the 30-day blueprint. Now, it comes with the way that is so that you actually stick around for 30 days. All of these lessons, can you get through them faster? Yes, but we try to do real coaching where we actually show you, hey, you need to spend some time on this and you need to learn how to do it. So every kind of concept that we give you, a drill that we give you, you actually have to go through it and do it. Don't just breeze through, watch the videos and think you've got it down pat. So the course overview starts out, we show you what you're about to expect. And then we take you through a bunch of these team meetings and these team meetings explain our actual videos more in depth. And if you're looking down here and you're looking at my screen, if you guys are listening, on your podcast and you need to come to the YouTube channel in order to see this, you can always search us down on the YouTube channel. But we're showing here on screen, we have some setting pre-tests, some bump setting and hand setting pre-tests where you actually have to video yourself. And when you video those things, you post them onto our private Facebook group. When you post them onto our private Facebook group, our team of coaches has the opportunity to actually help you fix your setting to see things that you can't see to help you when you're doing it wrong or just to help you doing it better. And then we take you through a couple of drills that you need to do for the first time. As we go through all of these, you can see how many videos are back here and they are sequential so that you learn how to have the right feet, so that you learn how to have the right touch. And then we give you all of the lessons you need to know along the way. Now, all in all combined, because of all of the team meetings and because of all of the drills and videos, right? This is going to take about 10 meetings, right? And if you think about one meeting every three days, it should be something like 30 days. But all the videos and all the tests and all the at-home drills that you can use that to become a great setter from home. And we give you in these meetings, we give you the opportunity to see pro matches and Olympic matches and world tour matches to see how the top level players are all using their setting techniques, their rhythms to find better points, find better attacks to get their wins. So if you're looking on the screen, 
screen, you're seeing that I'm scrolling through all of the team meetings. And when you go into any of the team meetings, I'll show you here, like just as, as if we were resuming the course, okay? it takes you through these videos and it takes you step by step. And there's a little progress tracker so that you know how far you have gone in the course and how far you need to go. Each meeting comes with a video or a drill assignment. So if you want to become a great setter, if you're looking for a way, if you've always been wondering, or if you've had doubt in yourself saying, I just can't hand set or I just can't bump set, or you get really nervous anytime you actually are setting, take the course, spend 30 days just setting for 20 minutes a day using the drills that we give in the course. And I guarantee you it will pay off just like it did for all of the players that took our hand setting course before, because we've had players that were playing for more than 10 years that never handset and after one month all of a sudden they're coming out to the beach and they're hand setting every time and they love it and then you get the comments out like whoa you got hands and oh, all of a sudden you're a hand setter it's a good feeling to be able to control your offense and to have a skill that you guys used to be afraid of so if you want to join it's go to betterbeach.com forward slash how to set a volleyball you get that course and you get every other one of our skill and strategy courses for only 39 dollars a month right now uh, you can find that on our homepage. and if you want to join our foundations program where we're talking about all of the mobility that we were talking about at the beginning and building your strength and building a base for your strength training season and for your competitive season, then you're going to head to betterbeach.com forward slash foundations and you can sign up. If this podcast is aired when we are not signing up new athletes, then you can just join any one of our email lists and I'll let you know when the next unit of players is available because we're going to take a certain amount at a time. Easy enough. That's a pretty good intro to the, to the setting course. Yeah. I mean, I always bring it up, but I think the setting course specifically, all the courses are great. And especially if you're a new person into the game, the amount of feedback you get, the more the amount of interaction you get with a community that's willing to help you get better is something that we're very proud of. And the interactions that I've had with people after they've done one of these courses is just all smiles and it doesn't stop because you're always getting better at it. So it's like you just have these phases of continuing to get better at something that you weren't very confident at in the past. And it's just really cool to see people realizing that that they can still get to a different level no matter what age or level they are and it's it's cool we just want more people to be a part of it <laughs> you know, like more when smiles you do, when you do things alone in a skill-based thing or whenever you're learning like whether it's at your job or whether you're learning how to run a small business or anything when you do it on your own you feel these tiny little incremental steps and for a long period of time you kind of don't feel any improvement and then you're like oh wait i kind of automated that i think that's actually working now and I, I did learn i got better or when somebody asks you a question later on you can answer it a little bit quicker. But the times where you feel these just immediate giant leaps is when you go out, you get a mentor, you get a group that is actually working with you, you get a trainer, you get a coach. And that's when in just one session, somebody's like, wow, you know, their minds get blown by how much they're able to learn, especially when it's customized to you. And when you're listening to this podcast, you're going to hear a lot of things that you can apply. But there are things that we can coach you on and give you specific feedback if you're able to see your videos. And that's what we're providing with these courses, the ability for customized one-on-one -on -one attention where we look at your videos, we look at your games, and then we can help you improve. And then you get what our current players are getting. You get, instead of those little incremental steps, you get these big giant slabs of skill development. And that is a great feeling when those start generating points. And we got a few months before season, so you might as well start doing it now so that you're ahead of the game instead of playing catch up where you experience that first loss in your tournament and then you only sign up because you're pissed off you don't want to lose first and then sign up and win way better mm -hmm. than that <laughs> couldn't have said it better myself all right time for some q a with our live audience and then we're going to practice so for those of you who are not taking part in the q a thanks for coming and we'll see you on the sand Rick Swan asks, kind of a, it's not one of the most common questions because we get a lot of players. And, oh, yeah. But we're we're going to work with coaches a lot more. But Rick says, as a coach, will the foundations program provide good resources and info to pass along my players that I am training? The answer is 100%. If you are a coach and you sign up for these programs, what you're going to get is you're going to get the ability to have all of these tools in your pocket to then be able to share them with your players. 
Now, of course, it is the next step, like signing them all up for the program so that they can move at their own rate and that they can get those coaching. Yeah, we'd be happy to work with a club. We would be stoked to work with a club and be able to really provide all that feedback. But if you're a coach, what you're looking to do as a teacher is you're looking to have so many tools in your tool belt for so many different problems that you can help your players with. And if you sign up for this, you've got tools for passing, setting, arm swing, attacking, blocking, defense, serving, practice plans. All of that's included in this tiny little $39 a month membership. So if you're looking to help your players and if you're looking to just upgrade yourself as a coach and upgrade your worth and your ability to help your players, this is something that you can sign up for that doesn't exist anywhere else. And we want you to be a part of the family and we will help you become a coach, a better coach along with the players because every one of us is a coach who works for this company. So we'd love to help you out. We know that it will help out your players because these are the exact tools that we are using to help our players. So, of course, it's going to help you be a better coach to help your players. Right. Ricardo, who should call for the quick set, the hitter or the setter? This is actually one of my biggest pet peeves when I'm watching people. The attacker should be calling for the set. Okay. If you're a setter that is trying to make your hitter do something, you're just a bully. Okay. Let them live their own life. Let them go out there and call for a set. If you want them to try to run a quick set, let them know that that might be an option that they should tell you about. Mm -hmm. But the hitter should be making the call. It is too, especially when you're telling somebody to run a quick set, the timing steps are so different for an attacker that if an attacker is not ready for that, then they are never going to catch up to that ball. So the hitter has to be the one to make the call. Do not be that setter. Don't do it. Or when Especially dig, if I'm coaching you. <laughs> when the dig is like right on top of the setter and the setter goes behind. And it's yeah. Like, yes. Oh. Yes. The exact same thing. Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. Like you give me what I want, not the other way around. Right. Thoughts on practicing with a basketball? I, I think a basketball is a tough one. I don't think it's a good idea because of the size difference. So you're training your hands to be in a, in a different position. I do think that there is value in using like a setter. I think they have those weighted setter balls like at allvolleyball.com. And, head, head to uh, betterbeach.com forward slash shop. And then shop. you okay. can see all of our affiliate links. And then that'll take you to all volleyball where we have that setter program, the setter volleyball, which is a weighted volleyball. And I think that ball's good for you to, like, I know there are a couple of times where I've gone to practices where a, a coach has brought that ball out and made us use it at practice and it wasn't too bad. I would be cautious about the strength of the people you're working with. So if you're working with little kids, uh, you probably don't want it to feel, you don't want to use it in a game-like atmosphere at all. It may be in like a push against a wall type activity, like a workout kind of thing you could get away with. But if you're an adult and you're very strong, I, I'm also okay with, uh, there was a drill I did in college. It wasn't a drill, it was just a workout. But where I would lay down on the floor, someone would be standing above me, drop a medicine ball of some sort onto my chest and I had to catch it and then throw it back. I think that that's a really good activity if you're looking for a weighted exercise to help increase your strength of, of setting, because I, I think being strong definitely makes you a better setter. And just be very careful with that lying down, dropping a medicine ball on somebody exercise. Yes. We've had more than two incidents in a, <laughs> in a, yes, in we a have. Uh, 22 year lift, lifting career using exercises yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Can't, can't give people more brain cells. <laughs> Elon can. Yeah. Okay. Tips so on tips setting on over on two. Uh, on two. Guys, if you're going to set over on two, it should be high and quick. Yeah, remember that like the long, the depth set, when we're talking about taking that ball in, turning your hands, you want this release to be quick. That's how you attack on two. And the longer it sits in your hands with that slow kind of soft touch, the more that person is going to pick up on on what you're intending on doing. Remember that if you set over on two intentionally, your body has to be square, which means your chest and your shoulders need to be facing where you set or directly backwards over your shoulders and head. You can't set off to the side. If you set over the net, we've gone over this before, but I'll say it again. If you set over the net accidentally, so you're intending on setting your partner, 
then play goes on. That is not illegal. But if you're intentionally setting over the net, your chest needs to be facing where you are setting or directly backwards. And my recommendation is when you do it, do it fast, high and quick, and just don't do it blindly. If you see that a spot's open and you know that a blocker is not in your way, is not in the path of the ball or their hands are down and they're waiting and they're also looking at the hitter instead of looking at you, then yeah, you can experiment with this. You can, you can throw that thing over. I like it. V-ball, love the name. That This is a great question that is in complete relation to uh, this conversation that we did not touch on at all. So I'm sorry that we didn't touch on it, but I'm an indoor player transitioning to the beach. In beach, is it preferred to set towards the middle or outside slash pin? This is a big conversation to have, and we definitely should have talked about it within our section. For indoor players, you're setting this ball to the pin right? You want that attacker to be contacting this ball as close to that antenna as possible. For beach volleyball, it is different. It is more about just allowing your the set to land on your attacker's hitting shoulder. So for most of us, if we're on the left, if we're a left side hitter, most of the time we are a right-handed player. And so it, if you're going to error, you should error on that attacker's hitting shoulder, not their left shoulder, meaning that you pushed it too far outside. This is one of the biggest errors that we see in, I would say, beginner, intermediate level players is that they think that an attacker is a left side or a right side, and they try to set the ball all the way to that side of the court for that attacker to hit. I think if you just think about setting your attacker's hitting shoulder more often and missing in that position, that'll set you up for success. When we talk about probably the follow-up question that I see with that is, should I run my offense out of the middle? Should I run it out of the outside? You know, that, that comes with where your hitter wants to hit. And the large majority of hitters, they don't know where they want to hit and they don't design their own offense. It's the equivalent of a bunch of little kids going out and playing football and just running scramble routes. You know, everybody just runs around and eventually a quarterback tries to find somebody that's open. But you will never see that in the NFL. Every route is planned. Every offense is scripted. So as you're progressing through your game, you should have a scripted offense. You should know where you want to hit each set. And maybe that will change with different situations. But one of the best exercises that you can do right now to figure out where your offense should be is to go to betterbeach.com forward slash partner profile. This is a free assessment where it leads you through a series of questions so that you can start developing your offensive strategy and articulating your strengths and your weaknesses so that you know, based on what you do well, where you should run your offense from. So go to betteratbeach.com forward slash partner profile. Again, it is a free questionnaire. You get the answers to all the results, and it will help guide you to knowing where your offense should be. That's all, folks. a bunch of cool tools, man. You get a bunch of cool tools. We do. I can't wait. We better. We spent three years to three years build them all. (laughs) Seven years, no problem. Well, all the online stuff, courses Um, and such. And guys, the uh, the performance planning journal for volleyball players is, is coming out. I, I know it's taken a while, but I'm I couldn't be more excited about what it is. It is definitely for volleyball junkies. If you're just a light touch user, if you play volleyball a little bit, it might not be for you, and that's totally fine. But if you're looking at somebody who is seriously competing, somebody who plays tournaments on a regular basis, and somebody who wants to get better. And also wants to know what they should eat, when they should eat, and how they should lift and work out and design their practices. The performance, the volleyball performance journal is coming, and I'm super excited about it. I know I've been teasing it for a while, but there's a lot of stuff we're working on, and this is one of the ones that is going to be good for scouting, for stat keeping, for tracking your workouts, for eating correctly, and for uh, understanding yourself as a player and a person. So I'm excited for when that comes out. Yes. All, all right. right ready to run to practice yeah man i'm not going to complain at all today about the wind that's my goal set. Oh, i'm gonna spin set everybody yeah after all this hand setting talk it's all just gonna be bumps <laughs> not gonna touch talk. my touch my hands once <laughs> yeah we got white caps and everything 
All right. All right. Bye, everybody. See you guys. Appreciate y'all. I'll see you on the sand. See you on the sand.